what's up this is episode 18 of being my more successful friends i'm your host Lori marie on this episode i sit down with one of my favorite people drummer chris hornbrook from poison the well he's also played with a couple other bands you may have heard of um big black delta he was just on a summer tour with uh danny harrison he's played with sleigh bells um the list goes on and on the dude has a really um, expansive career over the last 20 years and he's definitely someone in my life that I really look up to when it comes to career because he is so driven and inspiring and just kind of reminds me every day that if you want something you gotta fucking go for it Um, we talk a lot about that on the episode we also kind of um, fuck around (laughs) Uh, we were both super tired, so that might come through a little bit. It was a Friday night. Our schedules are crazy. I'm glad that we were able to uh, meet up and get in the same room for this. Uh, but yeah, it's cool. We talk a lot about Poison the Well and how they're about to play the El Rey um, on January 18th. Kind of a cool little reunion show commemorating their first LP. And just a couple other things that he has going on. So I hope you guys enjoy. So you had to taste the drink. You don't get to set the rules in my house. <laughs> would you send me home if I got really bossy? I mean, I wouldn't send you home. I would just tell you to shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay. Or cool. I would just say, okay, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now I'm going to do an intro. Okay. And it's really lame and I always feel weird about it when people are staring at me when I do it. Yeah. So just don't be a dick to me. That's after. why you should like do pre- made one no i do but sometimes like when i get to people's houses it's more fun just to like be awkward and do it in front of them like dump your tits out and fucking do your intro yeah exactly (laughs) i'm always showing nipple that's like my thing (laughs) that's all you're gonna get usually yeah at every show you know you'll get nipple um so hey guys this is Lori marie and uh, me and my more successful friends podcast i almost forgot what the name of my podcast was for half a second um, so today I'm in Long Beach. I traveled extra far, so if this interview sucks, I'm going to be fucking pissed. So Maybe your podcast is so, it's not very <laughs> positive. <laughs> it doesn't need to be positive. I mean, it's, it's I mean, like, positive towards yourself. Well, that's the whole point, is that, like, it's supposed to be funny, and it gives the guests the opportunity to kind of have fun with me, and we just, you don't have to totally shit on me. Like, that's not the point. I didn't go into it like that. I'm just, you know... You're technically supposed to be my more successful friend. Okay. Can I introduce you, though? Because you totally interrupted my intro. I, was that was I, I did that on purpose. I know you did. All right, guys. So I'm in Long Beach hanging out with my friend Chris Hornbrook. He's a drummer. Um, can I rattle off all your credits really fast? Yeah, you could do that. That's cool. Is there, like, a certain order that I should do it in? No. All right. So <laughs> however, <laughs> however you want to do it. Um, so you did. Po- uh, you are in Poison the Well. That's, like, your... That's yeah. That's I've I've been in that band since I was like seventeen, eighteen years old. And that's like the band. Like, I mean, I don't know if it's the band, but it's. uh, I was just talking to you the other day. It's like a little. It's like a. It's like a, a tap that we turn on every few years, and then we turn it off when we think it's time to go away. Makes Uh, makes it funner and more special. More special. I like that. So you guys are. So you've um in the intermittent of Poison the Well, whenever you decided to turn the tap off, you were um, playing with Big Black Delta, mm-hmm. which is actually, oddly enough, before I met you, was a band that I had recently kind of 
been introduced to. Yeah. And then I think like, and I this is dumb, but also I, f- I feel like it's kind of like Kismet. Mm-hmm. I was listening to the album, like the most recent one that I think that you played on. I and actually didn't play on any of them. No, but you no, 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 John. It's it's the it's a uh, the brainchild, John Bates. He does he does everything. I was just a live guy, okay. which is which is totally cool. Like it's it's uh still related. No, 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 no. no. Like that's that's um when I moved when I moved to California, Los Angeles. That's what I wanted to do was to be a like a hired guy. And in some cases, you're just gonna do studio stuff and. Some cases you're gonna do live, and then some cases you're gonna do both. So, yeah, no, it's cool. Like uh, he has everything on lockdown and playing with him live, which I haven't done in probably two or three years. Uh, it's really, it's it's really fun. He's a great guy, and you know he assembles a cool band, and he's all about making it fun. I think that's cool. Yeah. I was just gonna say that I was listening to them, and then I think like a week later I met you. So I just thought that was kind of yeah, random. it's a small world. Do you remember when we met what you were wearing? Uh, a leather jacket, some boots, a pair <laughs> of jeans, a tank top, <laughs> like my normal my normal uniform. <laughs> Do you remember what I was wearing? No. Not at all. No, like you were in clothes, clearly, but aside from Yeah, that it was a public place. We were to, we should probably reiterate yeah. that we met in a public place. Yeah. Um, the Thirsty Crow, which is like a bar I used to frequent. Yeah, Thirsty Crow is a cool spot. Yeah. Loud though. Yeah, it's very loud. <laughs> yeah, if you're trying to go there just to get wasted, then it's the place. But if you're trying to have a conversation, it's really not the spot. Probably not. No. But it's like a if someone doesn't hang out in LA a lot, it's a cool place to say like, oh, we should meet at the Thirsty Crow. Well, it's pretty like central. If you're like in the Silver Lake Echo Park area, it's a good, it's a good spot. It's a little hard to find parking because uh, Silver Lake Ramen's there, Thirsty Crow, and then there's a new um ice cream the an ice cream spot that opened the up like van Lewin. yeah van lewin or whatever yeah that's that's my current jam it's good yeah it's a pretty good spot but i'm a normal human being and i eat normal ice cream so you eat normal ice cream yeah. what what constitutes normal ice cream uh the the one that has uh, milk in it oh well <laughs> they have they have regular ice cream too no, I'm pretty sure it's all. Um, it's all. Ve- isn't isn't that like their thing? That's so their thing. It is predominantly yeah. vegan, but you can get like a a real like cream yeah. based. I'm just talking shit. I'll eat a vegan ice cream. I don't care as long as it tastes good. <laughs> the thing that makes ice cream good is the fact that there's just a lot of sugar in it, mm-hmm. typically. So that's Rite uh, Aid, hands down, which used to be Thrifties, mm-hmm. is probably my favorite ice cream. Hmm. Not just because it's a dollar thirty two. Yeah, it's pretty economical. Yeah. Um, all right. So big black delta, and then mm. so we've done, we've done your resume. I would say, unless there's anything else that I missed that is worth mentioning. Um, there's one or two things I was playing with, uh, or still am when he plays. Uh, Danny Harrison, George Harrison's son, great dude, really fun guy. Um, and then. And you guys just went on tour. Yeah, we t- we toured with ELO over the summer. It was pretty awesome. What was the best part of that tour, would you say? I mean, the overall experience was interesting. There's a lot of ups and a lot of downs, but uh, I don't know, just playing arenas every night is pretty cool. Like, I've done that before, but I've never done, like, straight arena tours. I've done it where, like, bands, they'll do a few theaters, and then there's, like, one or two markets where they're really, really big. And you play, like, a, you know, medium to small size arena. This is just, like, you know, the the, the large, like... 
most of them are anywhere between like 20 to 25,000 people a night, which is kind of a lot of people. I think the smallest one was my old hometown, Fort Lauderdale, which was around 9,000, but it's still like, it's still a lot. Like once you, ex- once you exceed like eight to like 9,000, you can't really tell. Like it all just looks the same. Like all the venues just look the same, even though it's like some yeah. would be 10,000 more people. I, I can't, Im- like, I can't imagine going from the first time playing for a crowd of that size and then after a few shows, is it, like you said, it all kind of just gets, it's a blur, right? Like you're not really thinking about it anymore or is it every night is kind of... No, nostalgic? I mean, you know, unless that's your thing that you do all the time, unless you're like an arena band or a stadium band, um you definitely think about it all the time. I mean, you get into like a bit of a rhythm and if you're traveling and you know, you, you you work with professional people and professional crew and a professional band, you you know, you don't ever second guess any anybody like fucking up. So, you know, you go out there with the confidence that you're going to go out there as like a unit and you're going to go crush it and that your crew is like, you know, your front of house guy or your techs or your monitor guy or whomever, everybody's just on it. So, that made it like a bit easier to like go out there and do it but um i mean it's it's so weird like i said unless you're you're just an arena band and you go out like i don't know two or three times a year and you know do us a few times or once or go to europe and you're just used to it then it's pretty we- it's it it's weird like the first the first one's always weird mm-hmm. so but it was a good experience overall yeah i had a lot of fun yeah i w- was looking at your instagram so i could refresh my memory and it, it's so funny like you were right like a lot of the pictures that you posted from all, like different nights same, yeah. literally except when there was like an indicator of what city you were in yeah. i was like holy shit <laughs> yeah i mean it all pretty much looks the same um but yeah like with bands those are like the four main ones that i kind of i've bounced around since i've well with the exception of poison all like that's all the bands that i pretty much bounced around with and since i've been to los angeles like i've done session work for producers and bands and all that sort of stuff but it's just like little things here and there is tour kind of your most favorite part of this type of gig or like what do you prefer i mean i do like recording and i do like touring there's more money in touring because you know it's an experience people come out and they spend money to watch a band play or you know in some cases watch a guy hit space bar and (laughs) dance around and sing or whatever or like rap or whatever his or her thing is but um because like it's become easier to replace musicians in the studio um session work isn't as common it's it's for myself it's very like niche orientated like somebody's like oh i like the way you play so we want to hire you it's not just kind of like hey we need just some guy to do something it's more just like oh like we think you'd fit good for this so like the Stuff in the past, if you did, like, commercials or you did whatever, things like Pro Tools didn't exist. You were recording to, like, one-inch tape or two-inch tape. So that you would actually need a physical dude to go in there or girl to go in there and, you know, lay down some drums. Whereas now it's, like, if you need to just program a dance beat or, like, a very simple drum beat, like rock or pop or whatever, um, you don't need to pay somebody to do that because, you know, like... Every all like logic or pro tools or whatever you just yeah you don't still need to hire somebody so 
those like little bursts of work don't really exist anymore so it's all it's all niche specific i like both to be honest i do wish that i had i wish there was more an abundance of session work oddly enough i have like two sessions coming up next week but like i'll do maybe two to five a year and they could range anywhere from like entire records to like two songs so yeah the end Nice little <laughs> <laughs> random side hustle. Yeah. So, okay, so I, I read on your Wikipedia that... Um, Wikipedia isn't real. I know, but I actually secretly have written a bunch of Wikipedias for people. Uh, I, I remember you told me about that. Yeah, super yeah. random. So I only refer I only went to it because I typed in your name earlier and I was like, I need to like remind myself some shit. But yeah. I saw something written in there and I don't know if it's true or not, so I wanted to it's ask probably you. probably not. You're, it said you were like completely self-taught drummer. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I've taken little lessons here and there, but for the most part, self-taught. But you know, if I needed to improve like a technique or I don't know, when when I was young, I my mom enlisted me in a in Broward County where I grew up in Florida. Like I went to a guy that didn't really care, and that was just you know <laughs> doing it. Just so needed money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. Not to say that he should invest into somebody that's like not his kid or not his friend, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I learned a little bit from that. Maybe there's more that's like embedded in my mind, but I predominantly learned just from playing with people and watching people play and listening to records and that sort of thing. Do you think that guy today is like on the internet blasting that he no. was the first person to ever teach you how to do drums? No, I probably, I don't know, I, I, he probably barely remembers me. <laughs> was he like a teenager teaching you or like a, like a full-fledged adult? No, he's probably like, uh, around that time I was probably like anywhere between 12 to 14 years old. Oh, okay, so you're... So he was okay. probably like late teens, early 20s, maybe mid-20s at most. Like, he probably has like five kids and... You know, works a job he hates and <laughs> still lives in Broward. But <laughs> what if he was at every show and you just probably had no idea? Wasn't. Yeah, he probably wasn't. Diehard fan. He's probably. St- what if he's stalking you on the internet probably right not. now? Probably and not. Like yeah, th- I mean, the way the internet is just so easily accessible. <laughs> like, hey, you remember I gave you lessons? And I just block him. <laughs> really? No, you I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be that mean. You wouldn't be like, yo, you kind of. I kind of owe everything to you. The fact that I've been able to be a musician my entire life. I mean, I wouldn't really necessarily say that he <laughs> gave me that much information. You know, he kind of phoned it in <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> Not to say that I was very easy to uh, to teach because I wasn't really interested in what he was showing me. I just wanted to play like Nirvana and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam because those were like the, the big bands at the time. And What was the first song you learned? What was the first song that I learned? I can't really remember, to be honest. I, I do remember when I was in high school, I would learn, like, Green Day songs and Pearl Jam and Nirvana and that whole thing. That's kind of where I sort of started at. Because, you know, it's like MTV and the radio and CDs and that whole bullshit. Like, that's just what you did. Yeah. So, yeah, I would do that, and I would jam with, like, friends from, like, middle school. And so it was, like, pre-Guitar Hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was super pre-Guitar Hero. <laughs> Now it's like you just pick up some fucking video game and for some reason you know how to play. Um, 
I know nothing about drumming, by the way. So yeah, I figured. I figured you'll just uh, walk me through this. It's not really. I didn't really invite you. It's on not that hard. You're a drummer. I don't really. The cool part is that like you actually are doing shit and you have some cool things happening right now. Like yeah, you guys have your twentieth anniversary of your first yeah. concert. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, aside from those two sessions I told you about, um, twentieth anniversary show at the El Rey, which sold out in like ten minutes, which is pretty cool. Uh, we did uh, a reissue of our that record uh, on vinyl and it's doing fairly well so far with the pre-orders and. Uh, we announced uh, Psycho Vegas, which is a festival in Las Vegas uh, in August. And then there's, you know, a few other things in the works. And there's another record that I can't really mention that I played drums on that is probably going to come out, I don't know, first or second quarter of uh, 2020. And, um, yeah, whatever else kind of pops up, there's a few things kind of in the works that I can't really say just because it's, it's, you know, it's not 100% confirmed. But yeah. But yeah. I think that's cool that you guys are, like, you guys have this crazy, like, diehard fan base. Yeah, it's cool. How long has it been since you guys have all played together? Probably about three years. Okay, so not, not super long. But well, we went on hiatus around 2009 because it was just kind of like beating a dead horse. I think just between, like, the whole, the, w- the way music was at the time and all the, the sort of, um, you know, pirating and all that sort of shit it it made it just really difficult because budgets were less to record but then producers and you know um studios still wanted a lot of money and you know that's kind of what we did we just toured all the time and we kind of you know i don't know just guess drove down our worth as a band so we went on hiatus and i don't know a few years went by and suddenly there was just the demand because i guess that genre and that sort of music um was coming back i kind of dropped out i kind of you know mourned the death because it was kind of a death to me you know when you're like hey we're going on a hiatus hiatus and who knows when we're going to come back and kind of had to get over it and then once i got over it came back in my life which is like you know like an obnoxious crazy girlfriend that just (laughs) won't go away and that's kind of how i describe this band as much as i love it it's like it gets to the point where it gets really really frustrating and then you break up like breaking up with a girlfriend the band doesn't ever break up but it's like breaking up with a girlfriend and then you know just when you're getting over her she comes back she rears her ugly head <laughs> offers you a bunch of money or a bunch of opportunities a <laughs> bunch of blowjobs um i wouldn't mean i wouldn't go that far <laughs> yeah so you More guys like are headaches. getting ready to play the l ray i think that's one of my favorite venues i like that it's like just small not small but like you still feel like it's pretty intimate, even though yeah. it's almost a thousand seats, right? Yeah, yeah, it's I think it's like seven or eight hundred. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good size room to kind of come back and play a show. I've I've played there before with with Danny, and uh, it was a really great show. And I like the L.A. a lot. There's a lot of cool shows that go there, and it's a it's a good size. Yeah. So twenty years. So twenty years ago, like, f- how long were you in the? Band, like when did you guys start the band between starting it and then all of a sudden getting signed and then you were like the 17 18 year old kid and then you're like on the road well it kind of started as like a like a i don't know like a, a fun side project for our guitar player who i uh, was playing in another band with he was playing bass and they just asked me to come play drums and it's kind of before like hardcore and like 
metal and that whole thing like that sort of you know genre sort of blew up so it was still kind of i don't know more nichey more just kind of like hey let's do this for fun and uh we put out an ep nobody cared because typically when you put out an ep nobody should care because you're still kind of you know figuring out what you want to do but how'd you guys get that um how do we get that well to record in south florida at the time there was a guy named jeremy stoska who recorded it out of a warehouse called studio 13 which is totally like totally ghetto but he was like the guy to go to if you played like punk or hardcore like metal this is back in florida yeah fort Uh, lauderdale yeah that's that's like where that's like the bigger city but this was like kind of in a suburb north called pompano beach um anyways uh yeah you would just go to him to record and it wasn't like a lot of money like our first ep i don't know i think we collectively all threw in like I don't know, 150 bucks each because it, it was like six or 700 bucks to record. Because that's just, kind of, that's just, he was just the guy you went to because he was affordable. What would that cost today? Because it was like, what, 1998 or something? Right? That was like 97 or 98. I forget. But yeah, it was just, it just wasn't a lot of money because I don't know, they just, you figure. He was like, I don't know, like he was the guy and he wasn't exactly the most professional dude, <laughs> but he got shit to sound good, basically. So we, w- we did, we went and did that. We played some shows. And we did like minor touring, like six guys getting in a minivan and, you know, driving up to like Brattleboro, Vermont or like Springfield, Massachusetts and like shit like that, like booking shows through like AOL and stuff like that. AOL and the yeah. messenger. <laughs> and then came home. And we, st- we st- you know, regrouped and kicked some people out and got some other people in the band. And it just, we found the, the lineup that kind of worked chemistry-wise with everybody. And then the record that we're, we're playing the show on that we did the re-release on opposite of December, we wrote and we recorded. I think we, like, I don't know, I think the recording all-in was, like, 2500 bucks, which is kind of crazy to think about. Because, like, in terms of, like, a financial perspective, like, we've made that money back, like, I don't even know how many times over. Yeah. But it it just it was like the right record at the right time with the right sound with what was going on. And that was just kind of like the thing that like started the train. So was But yeah, but back to to your original question of like touring like yeah, it was I was it was in high school in my senior year. Um and as as well as our old guitar player Derek who now is the, the like the main dude from Slay Bells. So um yeah, so him and I were still in high school, but we would take, like, once a month, we would take a Thursday off, and we'd just, like, rent an Enterprise van, because I think they did, they were, like, the only company at the time that did unlimited mileage, and we would book shows, like, I clearly remember, oh God, what year was it? It was probably, like, 90, it was definitely 99, but we would go up, we'd, we'd drive up, and... You know, you'd play a show in Philadelphia, and then you go play a show in Boston, and then, you know, you go to New York, and, like, this is, like, when CBGBs was still open, we would play a show with CBGBs, and then we'd just drive back to Florida. And who was booking the shows? Like, how are you getting them? Well, it's, like, at the time, like, sort of the sort of hardcore scene, there were people in cities, right? So mm-hmm. our friend Rich Hall, who we still know to this day, booked CBGBs in New York, and there was just... It was just we were on an independent label out of Jersey that had its own sort of network of people. And I don't know, it was weird because at the time it's like the label we were on was called Trust Records. 
and there was bands associated with that. And then there was other labels like, um, God, who else was there? I'm trying to like remember because this <laughs> is so long ago. <laughs> I'm so out of it. And I'm making it go back in time. No, it's, <laughs> I just haven't thought about it in like a really, really long time. But um, fuck, what other labels? There was Ferret Records, which had a bunch of different bands. They were another Jersey label. There was there was a whole Boston scene. Oh, I can't remember the name of that label, but bands like Cave In and Converge and like they were on that label. Why why can't I fucking totally drawing a fucking blank? Anyways, so there's like all these networks, right? And you know, we met this guy, Jim Grimes, out of uh, uh Chicago and he would just book us. So th- it was just kinda like these like networks and then Jim became our, our agent, you know, quote unquote agent, even though he's still like He's still a homie. Like if we played Chicago, he would he would come, and he's a good dude. But um, that's just what we did. But it was mainly through AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> to be perfectly <laughs> honest, like there was a guy that just booked shows in Chicago, and his name was Jim Grimes. Or there was a dude that booked shows out of Indianapolis. It was so and so. Or there was like, it was just before you like actually like made the step to have like a real booking agent. Mm-hmm. It's before that stuff was even like realistically obtainable for like hardcore bands so so yeah that's just kind of what we did and when we released that record which is yeah 99 i was still in high school that's when like the sort of thing started started going and it was kind of like an you know it was uphill like kept touring and we toured with bigger bands and eventually signed to a major label and then realized all the strings attached that come to being on a major label and it just it wasn't really good for the type of people in the band and kind of what we wanted to do we probably would have been better staying on an independent especially now seeing where things went you know you could have we could have had a longer healthier career but you know we went for the we shot for what you know as far as we could and we thought we could do we thought at the time we could do whatever we wanted and people would be accepting of it but with heavy music even though it does have singing in there there is a um, melodic element to it. I mean, there's a there's a roof in what you can do with heavy music at the time. Today, it's like you know, bands can play like arenas and shit like that. And, but it's become a little bit more commercialized and a little bit more like boy bandish, if you will. <laughs> so boy bandish. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's become really derivative, and you know, I'm I'm not trying to talk shit in terms of like the people in the band like i'm sure people in the bands are really really nice people and they've obviously right. have successful businesses it's just musically it's just not really it's not for me like you guys were kind of i guess quote unquote, like the pioneers or one of bands yeah. coming up that sort of uh, influenced i would say more we just had like the right sound at the right time at the right place and that whole thing like there were bands that were doing it way cooler before we did it we just so happened to like be a generation one or two removed from those bands that kind of took those elements and put it together and it was just kind of around the time that like that stuff was kind of bubbling to the surface who are some of the bands that you guys went on tour with when things like started to really happen like bigger like bigger bands yeah um we did two tours with Hatebreed. we toured the deftones uh we toured with that band thrice we toured mm-hmm. with thursday you know, we're both you know, still friends with the guys in Thrice and some of the guys in Thrice and some of the guys in Thursday. Those were like two of the first like albums where like I really started actually appreciating music that yeah. I got into in high school. <laughs> yeah, they w- they we were kind of part of the same scene. Only we were like a little bit, m- we were a bit heavier. 
you know, they were kind of a little bit more. I don't even know how to. T- I feel old now talking about this. <laughs> I know. I was like thinking about. It, I was like, I think I was like in eighth grade when you guys kind of broke out, and then I remember like in tenth and eleventh grade, like having this group of guys that I hung out with that were really into Poison in the Well. Yeah. So it's kind of nostalgic for me. Yeah, it's too. it is for me too. Yeah. It's it's like it's weird. It's like putting on like a familiar like a jacket you've owned for twenty years, and it fits a certain way, and you know. Every once in a while, you'll have to go and lose a little weight <laughs> to fit back in it. But it's just, you know, it's like, it's not it's not that difficult, you know? Yeah. And now you guys are about to, it's been three years since you last played live. Yeah. But you guys were, seven, I would say like 17 years you guys were an active band. Uh, we, were, we were pretty active from like 97, 98 to about 2009, 2010. We called it. We were we were on tour in Europe, and then we kind of called it quits with Thursday. Uh, it was around the time both our bands were just crashing and burning. <laughs> yeah, we were sharing a bus, and we were touring Europe with that band Rise Against, who we're friends with, and they're really really great guys. But uh, yeah, it, we were just we were going over like a bag of dicks every night. So before you guys got burnt out, what was it sort of to to get back to the theme of why you're here? What was yeah. like that one moment? if there is one where you were like, oh shit, like we've like achieved success. Like I'm like doing this, like this is my like career, I guess in a way. Like, I think signing, I think it was like the collective experience of like the first record opposite all the way to when we signed to Atlantic and we put that record out and we did warp tour and we started doing larger tours. I think it was the collective experience of feeling it was like kind of like a roller coaster going up. And you were like, okay, at what point is this going to, like, drop off? Yeah. You know, because you could see it in, like, getting excited. You know, you're doing this and you're doing that. And then you're selling, you people, so, you know, at the time people were selling records. We were selling more and more records for, like, the standard at the time. We were drawing more people for the standard at the time, you know. And then we signed, it was around the time, like, AFI had signed to DreamWorks. And they released their record and it did really well. You know, Hatebreed was on Universal. And they, it was, like, different ends of like the sort of subculture that we came from where it was like a band that was like as heavy as Hatebreed was doing really really well and selling tons of records and doing huge tours and then AFI which was like another far removed scene but they were doing big and then you know Thursday had signed Island and Thrace I think signed Island as well and we had signed to Atlantic and you know I think it was really yeah it was the overall experience because we got just got a, a fuck ton of money from Atlantic, so it's like we got like advances, so we were getting like you know monthly salaries, to like stay at home and like write music, <laughs> which wasn't a lot of money, but at the time, you know, just to get paid to yeah. sustain you to do what you want to do. Is yeah, well, it's like a twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old. I don't yeah. even know. I think I was. Yeah, I think it was like twenty-one, twenty-two. Did you kind of like? go buck wild or were you sort of like more type no like so the way our manager did at the time because we were all kind of (laughs) stupid not not so much i was the least stupid one when it came to money yeah you seem like really kind of yeah like went out and bought a huge two thousand dollar tube tv that was the the extent (laughs) of my my spending and then it was just like the fucking biggest hassle to move the fucking thing around. Like I <laughs> bought it in Florida and then I moved to California and brought it with me, which is a huge fucking hassle. And then I was in California for a few years and then I moved back to Florida for a little bit and I oh brought yeah. it with me. And at one point I was just kind of like, 
I just gave it to my friend. I was like, I'm not moving this thing anymore. It, <laughs> it literally weighed like 500 pounds. I remember I'd get my dad to move it a few times with me, and he was just so irritated that he had to help me with it. And then when I moved to California this past time, I was I wised up and bought like a a plasma TV that I still have that still works awesome that <laughs> 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 I can yeah. move on my own and I don't I won't I won't like you know fuck up my back or anything like that but yeah now they weigh like five pounds there's nothing yeah yeah, yeah th- that <laughs> was like the extent so you know we got a sizable advance and you know it goes quick when you know people are commissioning and you're splitting it amongst four or five dudes but you know we made it work and we got a lot of money to record especially for the standard now like what you could do records now versus like would you you know would you pay to do records back then it was just a cool experience like that record our the one on Atlantic we did about three weeks at like the old Sound City so this was like what 2005 2006 no 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 no. this is like 2000 the end of 2003 yeah end of 2003 yeah yeah it was right at the end of 2003 yeah, we did like uh, yeah, we did about three weeks at Sand City before it closed, and like girl bought the desk, and they sort of toured town. It was still kind of a. Cool and you were still in Florida at that time. Yeah, yeah, I was still in Florida when you were signed to Atlantic. Okay. Yeah. And then when you guys went on hiatus, that's when you moved back to L- you moved to LA for the first time, or. So it's an interesting story. So the first time in two thousand four. We were supposed to do the follow-up to the, the record that we released on Atlantic. And um, our manager is like, or our manager at the time was like a, like a, let's just say like a higher up at Golden Voice. And he lived in Riverside. And uh, in Florida, we all lived really far from one another. Like our singer lived in Miami. Me and the guitar player lived in Fort Lauderdale. And our other guitar player lived in West Palm Beach. So in his mind, he's like, hey, I should get these guys under one roof so they could write. You know, they put out this record, the first record in Atlantic. It did well. If they're going to do a follow up and like take it to the next level, they all got to be under the same roof. So he I don't know how he did it because I was the only one that really wanted to move to California. He oh. coerced everybody <laughs> into moving here and had a, a nice home in Riverside that he rented to the band for very, very cheap. And uh, that's kind of where we were, we were supposed to sort of. uh put together this other record which inevitably fell apart (laughs) as it always does but we were we just we had moved out here under that sort of pretense of like that's what kind of what was going to happen and then when it fell apart we had to go back on tour because the follow-up record we recorded half of it and then atlantic released us from the contract and allowed us to take those songs with you know with us but we had to go on tour and we, we then we had to you know sign another deal and get more money so it's like at th- everybody was just kind of like hey we're not because they all lived at one house and i lived at another house and the way it worked out was like hey we're gonna go on tour we don't wanna, we don't want to pay rent and we all just kind of dispersed and went back to florida <laughs> it was just i mean it, it was just you know it was just kind of not falling by the seat of your pants but like just seeing where it goes because it was very unexpected yeah and, and getting to california and Starting out in Riverside, I can imagine is sort of like what the fuck. <laughs> no, I mean it's we had we had came to California a bunch throughout the years. We had friends in LA and like Orange County and like a lot of friends in Riverside. But you have to realize, like coming from Florida, like Riverside's a paradise. Like as much as like I do love Florida, 
I also hate it too. <laughs> right, yeah. And Florida is a very flat, humid, hot swamp. That's basically what it is. And it rains for about 30 to 30 minutes to about an hour a day. It's just it's just a very weird place. So you have to imagine going from like a flat, humid, hot swamp to the desert out in California with these like beautiful, beautiful, majestic mountains, you know, with like a network of like, because a lot of the people that we met out in Riverside, we're still friends with today. They're all really great people. Nice. So our, our, and also too, like moving to Riverside, like we were introduced to a lot of people through our old manager. And since he was like, well, he still is. He's like one of the, he's a big wig at Golden Voice. We met a lot of cool people, you know? So it wasn't a bad, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but you have to realize where we were coming from. True, so yeah. I guess I went from one dry place to the next, so. Well, it was, no, it was like from like a humid, like a humid just shithole <laughs> to a, uh, yeah, just to like, because I know a lot of people talk shit on Riverside. I don't hate Riverside that much. <laughs> it gets really hot. It's just removed my yeah. problem with Riverside is it's very removed from the rest of civilization. It's yeah. its own little thing. It's very it's quiet. Super suburban. It's super suburban, which I have no issues with suburbia at all. But it just it gets it's fucking scorching in the summertime. Yeah. But that's Florida all the time. So we would take that over over um over Florida. At least me personally. But um but yeah, it was uh, we just it was just that's like if if our old manager Bill if he lived in Orange County then we would have moved to Orange County if he lived in L.A. we would move to L.A. like that's just where he he, right, he yeah. came up so. Um, but then you ended up back here eventually. Well, it what what happened was we went we all dispersed we toured, and we put out like two records and it was just on the decline the band was on the decline music industry everything was just in disarray, and um. The band went on hiatus, and I had ended uh, like a relationship, uh, like a, some a long term relationship I was in, probably like a year or so before. And I wanted to continue to play drums, and I knew people out here, and I had friends, and I had a, a good buddy of mine, you know, he, telling me I should basically move out here, and I'm wasting my time in Florida, which he was right. I got lucky the first time, but you know, what was that like ten, twelve years? Like the wave of bands that came from Florida, like dashboard confessional like newfound glory and those sort of bands that kind of like opened the door in florida even though we knew those dudes but we were very different because of those bands um there was definitely like a uh people were looking at florida you know and i was just over and done with so i just packed my car and i had a friend's place i was gonna sublet and then i came out here and then I was not subletting his place. <laughs> and then uh, I, I suddenly found myself homeless for probably about a few hours. And eventually um, <laughs> a hours. producer friend of mine, this guy named Steve Evitz, uh, lived in Seal Beach, which is not too far from here. And uh, he had a room that I could rent until I was able to sort of figure out what I was going to do. So, And I've been here. It's coming up on 10 years as of May. And you're still in Long Beach. I, you know, <laughs> it's this this area is great. I I only left this area once. I moved up to K Town in Los Angeles really? with my ex girlfriend. Yeah, I hated it. Yeah, <laughs> I was there for a year. Yeah, K Town's not. Ri- K Town is cool because there's like cool little pockets of dope shit like to do. But mm-hmm. 
as far as living, I can imagine this was a while ago, right? Like a few years. Uh, it's probably six. It's probably like six years ago. It was a while yeah, ago. Yeah, it's definitely built up a lot more now. Well, I'm. I well, the issue at the time was that I had a studio that was in Huntington Beach. Oh yeah. It was a really great deal. Uh, a, a buddy of mine, this guy named Bob, uh, hooked me up with it. He's a great guy, and it was really important that I sort of say I stay somewhat close to it. So when I first moved here, I was about I was in Seal Beach for about three and a half years, and then I went to K Town for a year. And just was not happy. It wasn't a healthy environment for myself and for my ex-girlfriend. So when that kind of time ended, we, her and I moved down to Huntington Beach. And then I was in Huntington Beach for probably about four years. And then uh, recently moved to Long Beach. And who were you playing with when you were in Huntington? Was that when you were like in the intermittent of couple bands? No, I mean, it's been pretty consistent since I, I started working with with John with you know Big Black Delta it was the first few years I was here I was just kind of doing odd jobs and shit like that just because it's also your morning the end of something right like 10-12 years of your life and suddenly like that thing doesn't exist and it's it's kind of part of your identity even though I didn't make it the like the it was never the like the primary focus of my identity it still was a part of my identity so it was kind of like finding my legs as like not the drummer of this band. And then uh, I eventually got hooked up with, with John, with Big Black Delta. And um, from that, it was, it was pretty, it's, it was been, it's been somewhat consistent. So I did stuff with John, and then I, I, I played some shows with that band, Trash Talk. I did, you know, some recording, smaller recording sessions here and there. And then from, from when the time that John ended, us touring on the very first record, uh, BBD LP one. That's when I got hit up by Census Fail, and then I was with them for about three and a half years. And during that time, I played some shows with John and Big Black Delta, and I played some shows with Poison Noel. And then around the time that Census Fail was kind of like winding down, that's when I got hit up by Danny because he was putting out his first solo record. And, and how'd you meet him, or how'd you get involved with that? With Danny. With Danny, um, it was through John. Uh, John, we toured with Gary Newman and uh, this guy Dave Zonshine, who you also know. Yes, I know Dave. Was managing <laughs> Gary at the time, and I met Dave, and then we became buds. And then as kind of like time went on, when Danny needed a new band, he was also a big fan of Big Black Delta, like a big fan of John and John's writing, and he liked the people that played in John's band, even though John's had like a million different people <laughs> at different points. Um, he got John's blessing to hire myself and, and John and uh, uh, this dude named Blas Perez who played bass for with, you know, with us for quite a while. So it was just, it was basically th- through Bates. And I had met Danny because Danny, had, you know, he had been around and he had come to some shows and he had played a, a show with us at the, at the Terragram. And um, yeah, he's just That's a good a dude. Cool super fun dude, super cool guy, like just, very free spirited and very much like wants to do cool shit that he wants to do and you know wants to have like dudes around that are excited that like want to help him with that. And so what time frame was that when you started playing with him? Uh, end of 2017. Okay, and that's when. So you were on tour with Big Black Delta for like a summer, and they were on tour with Sego, right? Another sort of. That was that was 2016. Okay. 
So I did a lot of touring with John for his first record. He put out his second record. We did a little bit of touring, but I think that he kind of wanted to steer away from the touring life. It's just not, some people love touring. Some people don't. I love it. And some people like being creative and like in their home environment or their studio or wherever and creating. And John's more of a creator than a touring guy. You know, not to say that he can't tour or that he doesn't have right. moments where he enjoys it, but that's what I've noticed with him is he's, that's his primarily his thing. So we toured 2016 and yeah, I think that's the last time he played a show where he played some of his ambient works because he put out a, a third ambient record but like i couldn't do that i just had too much on my plate at the time and then since then i think he's just been licensing his songs out writing and writing and writing and writing with other people and then working on big black delta stuff and i haven't really heard too much out of him he's a little bit of a recluse so you know i'll hear from him every once in a while but if uh if he wants to play some shows and i'm around you know <laughs> just hit me up and we can figure up. it out <laughs> that's cool so okay so you have like a really fucking long ass resume which i think yeah. is pretty dope and i think i, I don't know it's, it's kind of interesting because when i was gonna ask you to do the podcast it was before all the poison the well like stuff that's mm -hmm. happening right now is yeah. coming out and then it just so happened that now you guys are playing this show on yeah. the 18th so it's kind of um i guess i don't know if serendipitous is the right word but just maybe you know, you have some things going on, so yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, but you have, like, n a gnarly... Like, I've... I don't know. I guess for... I know a lot of bands, and, like, I grew up in a, a town where, like, there were some other bigger bands that came out of, like, AWOL Nation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people like that. Um, gosh, there's... <laughs> what? I said Hoobastank. Hoobastank, yes. Yeah. Uh, Best so name. Yeah, Incubus. There's there's a few, but like I just because I know you mm -hmm. and I've like obviously kind of follow like what you're doing. Yeah. Um it's cool to see that you guys haven't played for a while and like you still have this crazy fan base, like these like cult followers, yeah, so to speak. It's like kind of endearing to yeah, it's see cool. it and uh -huh. no, um, it's super it's uh really lucky and it's uh I mean I the reality is like we wouldn't be a band and like our records wouldn't really mean anything if like people didn't give a fuck which is like the say with like anybody whether you're a comedian you put you know you make music or you're like some sort of movie star or, like whatever if people don't give a fuck and support you then like i guess it doesn't matter in terms of, i mean it matters to you and the people you create with but like on a on a larger scale it doesn't matter so yeah the only reason why we could really do this is because kids still give a shit and that music, it went away for a little bit, kind of, but then it's kind of back, too, in some weird way. Yeah, there's like a resurgence of well, it. Well, it's like the 90s resurgence, right? R yeah. 90s resurgence, and like that record came out the end of the 90s. I know we're not like late 90s yet, because I feel like it was the 80s forever. Yeah, it was. Like <laughs> M Bands like M83 and shit like that, where it was like this heavy synth sound, and I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's fully gone away yet. But it's like it feels like, not culturally, but like musically and, and like fashion-wise, we're kind of in like the '80s, '90s transition. Right, like all the really young, young, young millennials are are taking notice of you know. Yeah, they get. I get more like the '90s vibe from them, like the way like the oversized, like neon colored. Yeah, 
there is shit, you know. I was walking downtown today through Little Tokyo and I saw these girls. I mean, they must have been like 16 and it was pretty hilarious. Like I felt like it was 1998 again. Like they looked like they were mirroring the Spice Girls and that kind of yeah. cracked me up because I was like, holy shit. I remember being like that age and yeah, like, l- you know, Joan Jett and like kind of looking to like 80s fashion and mm-hmm. like it's just funny how everything sometimes kind of comes full circle and it's usually like three generations mm. back or yeah. ahead that are that sort of pick up on it again like these are young ass kids like they have no clue but like that's probably how we were you know yeah when we were their age uh-huh. um but yeah it, i just I, I forgot where i was going with that i totally lost my train of thought because i was also looking at the recorder being like all right i hope it's still recording cause <laughs> my biggest fear is always like having a really good talk with someone. Yeah, and then it's just like not recording. Yeah, and then later you're like, fuck, it cut me off. <laughs> I had that happen once, but luckily I was at my house mm-hmm. and Rite Aid's across the street, so I was able to go get um, their batteries actually died in the zoo. It's not very professional of you, by the way. I know, but hey, it's called me and my more successful friends, so there's always got to be like some fuck ups. I find so that's your scapegoat. Yeah, this is like episode, this is probably going to be episode 18, so I've had mm. like 17 episodes before you to like get my shit together. So you, so you could buy cigarettes because you're 18. <laughs> I just like basically am at a place now where I still probably get triggered based on like when I first started the podcast. Okay. So, yeah, you guys cut me some slack a little bit. A little I brought bit. you snacks. Did. And I brought you a uh, choice of beverages. But also, too, is like I didn't ask for any of it. And you can't bring it to me <laughs> and then throw it back in my face. Like, I brought you shit, so don't make fun of me. <laughs> no, I just meant, like, I'm being professional. Like, I brought, I, like, asked you to be on the podcast. I brought yeah. you a token for your no, time. No, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. I even came to your house. You know, yeah. like, I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, I guess now you want to do the portion of the podcast where you get to shit on me. So what am I doing wrong? Yeah, do Why am I not? I do that shit all the time. So <laughs> I know I'm actually quite used to it. I'm just not. Um, I have to adjust since we're like in an open forum, and now people get to like look behind the orange curtain of like our friendship or relationship, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. Which is you just yeah constantly just making funny. Pretty much. Yeah. Luckily, I have mostly a thick skin most of the time. Well, you tell jokes, so I would hope that you'd... you'd I do tell it. jokes, yeah. yeah. From time to time. From time to time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've actually inspired some of my most recent jokes. Uh, yeah, you sent you sent some to me. <laughs> yeah. It's always nice when you can have people in your life that like help you be creative, because I think I've written more in the last few months, just like funny interactions that we've had than yeah. I have in a while. And I don't normally write. I normally just kind of go for it and then I see what happens and mm-hmm. then I work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been better. Alright, so that's you yeah. so you poison the wells back. That's yeah. dope. Um party time. You you felt success when you guys got signed by Atlantic. I would say like that's pretty like kind of the end all be all. Like do you think after that you could have just been like satisfied where everything was at or did you want more? Um no, I mean, I guess at the time, I'm trying to think about this and put this in like the proper, say it the proper way. So at the time, it seemed like it was a very straight, like the trajectory was very straight and was very predictable. And it's like, oh, that's the inevitable thing that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to sign a big label and, you're, you know, they put you out there and, you know, being young and naive, like, 
some of us thought that that was like the move and now looking at it as like a 38 39 year old man opposed to like a you know 21 22 year old kid basically um i feel like the end all be all i didn't know see that's the thing i thought that's what it was at the time but i wasn't like set in stone that was it i just thought that was like the move right but now looking at it at this point i think the most important thing is just to like have your following, put out quality music, continue to be able to grow, but grow on your terms, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, just, like, do something that can sustain you. It's really weird because it's, like, the idea of just doing a singular band now. Like, it seems like such, like, a foreign concept to me. Right. Because I, I do bounce around doing a lot of things, and I understand, like, in this day and age, you have to do a bunch of things even if uh, even if i was doing music and i had like another business that was completely unrelated to this like i feel like you just can't have one job these days so like my metric of success is it's weird because it's like well how many jobs do i have going on and what am i making for those jobs and what are things that mean something to me versus things that are just jobs Right. So there's all, I feel like there's all these like little metrics. Like monetary versus like passions. Yeah. I mean, there's always passion in what I do because I really do love drumming. Even if I'm playing tracks or something where I don't really like the music in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of mediocre. What can I do for my end as this person is paying me money? How do I make this better? You know, from a non-melodic point of view, just from a, like more of a drumming arrangement, you know, from whatever they're contracting me to do. So I always enjoy it, but drumming to me has become more of a, it's more of a financial thing because it's how I pay my bills and it's how I'm trying to build a future for myself. So I, I look at it, it's, it's a balance between money and like love. Which I don't know if that's good or bad, because everybody's like, "Oh, you should love what you do," and that should be the thing that's first and foremost. But like, I live in the real world, and you gotta <laughs> pay money. And California's not cheap to live. Yeah. <laughs> so in my mind, it's like, if I hear something and I I like it, you know, I really like it, or I could see it growing on me and me loving it, then it's like, that becomes a little bit more um, more in the forefront. But if I hear something and I'm like, "Eh, it's not really my thing." Then it's just kind of like, all right, I like playing drums and like, I like money and I like playing drums and getting paid money. So, yeah, um, it's weird. It, it's changing, I guess yeah. is the best way to say it. When I was 22, it was like, oh, it's something to a major label. And like, where does this go? I have no idea where this is going, but I'm just kind of riding this ride. Whereas now it's like my view on things. It's like I have a clearer view of where I want to go and the things that I want to do and kind of how I want to set things up and it's really really obtainable opposed to when I was 22 and just like oh well I play in this band that where like the guy screams and sings and it's heavy <laughs> and then it's fast and then it's this and it's that like oh yeah cool yeah we'll sell a million records which wasn't impossible at the time but wasn't that likely whereas now it's like oh yeah like I could totally play in Poison Well or play with Danny or like eventually like play with larger bands and make more money and then bounce between all these things like that's a more realistic goal of being like a independent contractor you know drummer for hire we're just bouncing around like at this point the the goal now is to play with like bigger artists 
mm-hmm. I, I feel like I have like the the very respectable mid tier bands of like all different sorts of genres that you know my name in some ways attached to now it's like in my mind it's like okay well i want to start playing with bands and working for bands that play arenas or play stadiums like that's the goal that's like the next shift upwards because it's like i play with you know i play with a lot of credible cool people that do cool shit yeah like that i i feel like i have that kind of put away it's like well but you're at a level where it, it's kind of a little bit easier now to k- to strive for what you want versus before you kind of had to prove yourself. Yeah, a little bit. When you go from being like a guy in a band to being a hired guy, like people don't think you of you as a hired guy. And then in becoming a hired guy, you have to sort of get your chops up and you have to kind of get your, you know, your sort of negotiating skills and all together, unless you have a manager. But the only reason why you have a manager is if just so much shit's coming in. Yeah. You need somebody to filter it and get you more money, that's why you get a manager. But if not, you learn to do that shit on your own. Yeah, I used to think when I was younger, before I ever even dreamed that I would do stand-up, because I didn't know what it was Mm -hmm. at the time, I thought, like, oh, because I've been in entertainment since I was, like, Mm -hmm. 13. But I was like, oh, you get a manager and you get an agent, and, like, that means you're, like, fucking doing it. But now (laughs) that I'm, like, 34, I have friends that have agents and managers, and half the time they're, like, my fucking agent hasn't gotten me a gig in, like, a year. Or, like, Mm. my manager, like, isn't, you know... It's just so funny how we think certain things when we're younger and we're, like you said, like, kind of ignorant to it all because it's just, like, smoke and mirrors. and, Mm -hmm. And then you grow up and you're, like, oh. And especially with the advent of social media, like, would you say that... They're part of the reason you can correct me, but I feel like this might be a huge part of why people can keep the fan base and like bands alive. But do you think poison direct to consumer? Well? Yeah, direct yeah. the fan base. Like, and that's just not just for us; it's just for everybody. Like, we did a reissue on our record, and we just paid for everything ourselves, and we launched it through our social media, and like, we recouped the amount that we put out in like the first probably thirty minutes. Like the game has changed. The game has totally changed, and um, for better, for worse. But yeah, I think there's definitely it's like fifty-fifty. Like yeah. obviously, you can reach more people now because yeah. it's not like you have to go play a show, and that's how you like meet fans and like get fans. And now you can play in your living room or like in your studio and fucking post a video, and then it's just like wildfires <laughs> like out there into well the i think the crucial thing is to find the balance between all those things right so like yeah. you have these really amazing musicians that are just solely just like they have the little setup and then do their thing on like instagram or youtube and like that's their thing but the i think it's really important for them to be like okay well i'm gonna do this but like also want to be like a real musician and i want to go out and i want to make music with other people and learn from other people yeah. and i want to go out there into the world and go on tour and go do like branch out and i feel like social media allows people to be really lazy and get really comfortable and it, what what happens if that for some reason that window closes and it was also too it's like what i noticed why i kind of like being in the little niche that i am is because nobody fucking cares about heavy music and rock right now like it is a little bit of an upswing but everybody's shooting for like pop and like hip-hop and all this sort of stuff so you like you have thousands of people all going towards the same thing. And it's a very similar thing with social media. It's like, oh, I get up and, like, as a drummer, like, I, like, the popular thing is go on there and just solo a bunch. Or 
to play the popular style of playing that is everywhere. So, like, you just become just another dude. Unless you're really good, then, you know, was it the cream rises to the top, right? Like, you're the guy that does that style really, really well. Okay, cool. Like, that's awesome. But, like, what happens if that becomes passe? We're all fucked. No, 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 no. But <laughs> I am. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not entertainment. I'm not saying entertainment. I'm saying, like, just using YouTube. And I don't yeah. think YouTube. I think Instagram. Yeah. I think because there's such an oversaturation it's of fading a little. I want to say it's fading, but it's like uh, YouTube will never go away. YouTube is is here to stay. I'm really surprised that there hasn't been some sort of competitor to go against them. I'm sure people have, or I'm sure there's been there's Vimeo, yeah, that have tried, and Vimeo now is trying to charge and do all this crazy bullshit. Mm, yeah, try fucking charging yeah. shit. Yeah, That's stupid. <laughs> um. But yeah, the game has definitely changed. You just you can't get you can't get stuck into what's happening now because things move so quick. I guess is the point that I'm trying to make. It's like people get really established. Like I'm just gonna be a guy playing drums and I'm gonna play put out a one minute video every day of me doing a blast beat or me doing a hip hop beat or whatever, and like I'm gonna get thousands of views. Like that's awesome. Then what? <laughs> but but like things evolve so quickly. It's like you have to kind of be able to do that, but then you have to be go play sessions and then you have to go on tour and then you have to give lessons and then you have to know how to market yourself like you kind of have to know a little bit of everything and be like somewhat proficient and doing everything because if you just sink all your eggs into one thing you can't um, be business minded or you can fucked well yeah but just in terms of how you make your money like i'm sure some of these drummers that have you know hundreds of thousands of you know followers on youtube get thrown you know free you know free gear and free this and free that and i'm sure they get you know like hey do this and we'll give you ten thousand dollars or five thousand dollars or what whatever you know like paid advertising but you know instagram could just introduce some sort of policy one day and that just completely goes away yeah which i i don't know i'm kind of indifferent at the moment but i will say that social media for for what i do for stand-up is definitely the main way oh yeah aside from hanging out at clubs and just kind of mingling and socializing yeah that's how i get booked because i'll i'll post that i did a show and then you know a couple days later someone will see and they'll be like oh yeah Lori, i haven't had you on for a while yeah but yeah it's not the end all be all for me it's for some people but for some people it is yeah. and and that's the point that i guess i'm trying to make is right. just like so you have to have a backup plan yeah way. and or shit's like gonna change like things happening shit evolves and shit evolves really really quickly yeah. and like i said like one day instagram would be like yeah we're doing blah 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 so you can't do this anymore like i think they were talking about getting rid of like like accounts well if they get rid of like counts then like why are these companies why are they going to advertise if you know if they don't know you're following yeah like if they can't see it from their point of view you know like Right. They're like, come. I think Instagram, I saw an article and I didn't read it. I just read the headline, but it was something to the effect of like, they're Mass trying to suicides happen because yeah. fucking <laughs> mental health and which is like not a bad thing to to be socially aware. But also, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and all these people that created these types of platforms, it's sort of like that wasn't the whole reason that they created them in the first place wasn't actually for this look at me mentality it was actually or for even a business they just wanted to fucking this guy wanted to get a date you know like yeah. it, it was he wanted to impress some chick so that's well, it's warping the mind right yeah. it's like and now it's just evolved into this 
crazy thing that I think we all can mm. attest to that we get sucked into from time to time. Totally. Yeah, like super, hard. I mean, it's super addictive. It's designed to be addictive. I don't think there's really, you can't really argue that, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, yeah, oh, it definitely feels like a drug. Sometimes when I post something, I'll give it like three minutes and then I'm like, yeah, I'm over it. And then I'll archive it. <laughs> yeah. But I got like that three minutes of dopamine, you mm-hmm. know, where it was like, all right, I posted something and someone's going to be like, oh, but I, you know, yeah. book you or this. And, and it doesn't have anything to do with even the fact that I do stand up. But it's, yeah, it's that mentality of like of instant gratification, validation. Yeah. Huh. Well, yeah, it's not healthy. No. Yeah. And we're all guilty of it to it. Like I said, we're all guilty of it to a certain degree. But yeah. But then again, it's like for what you and I do or what we like to do it, it definitely helps get the word out <laughs> it definitely does you know it definitely helps um but at the same time like i don't know do you yeah. remember a couple years ago oh my god i'm totally going i want to say was it meatloaf or like what's it the loaf no what band i can't remember the band but they were like we're going to play a show. I think they hadn't played for a while, and you can only get tickets if you stand in line like outside of Ticketmaster or something. I forget what band it was, but they're big. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's it, I know what you're talking about. Nine Inch Nails yes, did a few Nine shows Inch at the Palladium, Nails. and they're like, yeah, we're going to just sell show. We're going to sell tickets. You have to show up at the Palladium and buy tickets. Yeah, and people waited in line for like yeah. days. Like Trent Reznor has a, a obviously a very huge reach and a huge following. Yeah. I just remember that, and I, I thought it was... Um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool that he was like forcing people to kind of just pause for a minute and go back to like what the whole point of you know music is and mm-hmm. this and that. But no, it's super cool. I mean, he has a lot of cool ideas. I mean, he's you know been at the top of the the mountain, and you know he kind of stays current with what's going on. So you know he puts out cool music and he does like cool packaging for the music and you know he's he's on it you know same thing with like having a band and wanting to do like you could easily play like the staples center like a few nights in a row but he's like no let's play the palladium palladium's a cool you know it's a cool room i think that's rad all right so rapid fire questions and then um we're gonna wrap this up cool we've actually been talking for an hour oh wow (laughs) went by pretty fast yeah all right so it just has to be like the first thing that comes to your mind cool um so if you, if there was an apocalypse and you couldn't do music anymore, how would you survive? I would kill animals and eat them, uh, pick fruits off the tree, <laughs> and vegetables and eat them. So your paleo diet would continue. I'm, I'm not doing a paleo diet. I'm, I'm doing a. I'm trying to lower my carb intake because I'm definitely eating too many carbs. I've, I feel better not eating as many carbohydrates as. Yeah, you look like you're glowing. You're like very uh, fresh faced tonight. Yeah, I feel I feel way better. But uh, no, I would uh, I would go full fucking uh, was it fucking nomad? You know, roaming the lands. I mean, the roaming the lands out here in California, you'd fucking die because there's no <laughs> water. But yeah, no, I would uh, go to the desert. I'd probably start making my way back towards water and food. <laughs> probably, yeah. All right. Um, biggest pet peeve when you're eating dinner with someone? Um, obviously, if they're engaged in their phone more than they're engaged in the conversation, which doesn't happen all that often. But if it, you know, 
not it, obviously it's happened to everybody at some point. Because <laughs> you're so you're so engaging. Well, you know, I try, <laughs> but uh, no, that bothers me too. I can't stand the word. It's really rude. Yeah, it's super rude. All right, um, vanilla or chocolate? Ice cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, vanilla. Okay, and then hot coffee or ice? I already know the answer. I guess. Yeah, cold. I don't, I don't, I, I do like hot coffee. I just don't like waiting for it to cool down so I could drink it so it doesn't <laughs> like burn my mouth. Are you only going to Starbucks? Because that's the only place that really, really. No, Starbucks is garbage. Yeah, okay. It's fucking, it's. You have dope. a good coffee spot on the corner right here. Mm-hmm. That has recently become my jam. That when I lived here, has it been there a while? I didn't even know it existed. That's probably like the best vanilla latte. Uh, yeah, they're pretty on point. I mean, there's a few really good coffee spots. There's another one that I go to. Not not that I'm going to name drop or anything. So not giving me any deals. <laughs> but, um, the one that I could walk to on 4th Street is, uh, it's pretty great. And there's another one that's closer to downtown that's really good, too. There's a few other ones that I've tried. Uh, there was one that's not that far from here. It's closer to, like, uh, Belmont Shore. And uh, it kind of sucked. <laughs> I thought it was going to be good because there's also another one in Long Beach close to the airport. But you only do like cold brew, cold brew right? I do, yeah. But you know Black what, ma'am? Coffee. You can fuck that shit up. I guess so. Well, now I gave you a, a cold brew like maker. I think yeah. that's what that is. Yeah. So now you don't have to go to the one on I mean, I will. But also, I also will make... Uh, I also will use that. I used to have one of those when I used to live in Huntington Beach, and my old roommate, I left it in the um, the fucking sink, and he hit it by accident and fell over. So I had the filter thing, oh. which looks very similar to that, but that's smaller. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I that's that's a it. that's a that's a good size. I could probably get like you know two cups, two solid, you know, ten to sixteen ounces worth out of that. How many cups of coffee a day? I just do like. I do one. I do like anywhere between eight to sixteen ounces. Okay. And that's it. Usually in the morning, just to get me going, and then. What's the rule on sleeping in socks? I mean, it's fine if you need it. You know, <laughs> wear them. If you don't need, it. I mean, it it must be really fucking cold to wear socks because my my bed is especially warm. I but think it's so funny. That's like a universal thing. Like, there's a class of people that think it's weird if you wear socks in bed and then there's a class of people that like can only go to sleep if they have socks on it just depends like if i get in bed and my feet are really really fucking cold i'll put socks on until they're warm and like i you know my little cocoon in my bed's you know reasonable temperature and then i'll usually pull them off but sometimes you need them because if you get in bed and your room's cold your sheets and your duvet and your mattress is cold as well so I wear like right now I'm like wearing wool yeah, socks. Yeah, you got some dope socks on. Yeah, I was some, gonna call some it. fucking mountain man socks. But I actually like quite like them. Yeah, wool socks. That I bought them at Walmart <laughs> for probably like five or six bucks a pair. Walmart. Yeah. Oh no. Well, now I have to hashtag them in this podcast. Hopefully they'll give me an endorsement deal. They won't give you anything. They don't care. Probably not. But yeah. you know, we can just hope. We can just like put it out into the universe. Yeah, Walmart, give us free stuff. Yeah. What stuff? Well, you have everything, so give us free everything. Free everything. Like some light bulbs. I need a, a lot of light bulbs are out in my apartment right now, and that's just like a tedious thing to have to go buy. It's fucking annoying. I mean, you're an adult and you have a real job. Like, why are light bulbs out in your place? Um, because I'm extremely busy. But I did. I fixed two in my bathroom today. 
okay. before I got here. All right. I had my assistant <laughs> get someone to go to Home Depot and get them for me. And then I got home and then I was like, the other two could be brighter, I think. So yeah. I probably so cool, you know, you're making moves, you know? Yeah, I sound really pretentious, but I just said I have an assistant and... But all your whatever. bulbs are fucked up. Yeah, my bulbs are fucked up. I'm just busy. You gotta, get it, you gotta get it together. Busy lady, you know, going, driving to the ends of the earth for my podcast so I can learn how to yeah. be successful. Yeah. All right, so is success something monetary or is it a state of mind? <laughs> I fucking hate this question, but I ask everyone. Uh, I think it's both. Both? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, on a scale of one to ten, how enjoyable was this last hour of your life? One. Oh man. I'm just kidding. It was no, fine. It I'm was like it was it was a solid eight slash nine. Okay, yeah. I'll take that. That's good. Yeah. I was waiting for you to say like a three or a four, and then I was gonna be like, "Fuck, I need to like really figure this out." You need to go, go go hang yourself in my bathroom. Yeah. Well, you're the only. You're only the second musician so far out of um, now eighteen. Musicians are overrated. That I've in that I've like had on the podcast. Most yeah. people um, are in other walks of life, but yeah. you're the second of four more that are gonna be on. Oh shit! Look at you. Yeah, so I'm just making the rounds. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, just trying to like up my game and get all different perspectives. Yeah, that's what you gotta do. You know, so talk to everybody and you know, see what they say. So you've known me for like half a year, I would say. Yeah. But like, it feels like longer because we talk a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you could give me any advice based on what you know, what am, what could I do better, and so I can have a 20 year career with you i mean i think you're doing it pretty smart you have a normal job that pays you a lot of money and you're focusing your time and your energy on something that you want to do and you have potential to do it you're clearly funny or you, you wouldn't be doing stand-up <laughs> <laughs> you well, know what i mean a lot i mean of people that do it that aren't funny but <laughs> yeah but you know i know it takes time but like you just have to have not saying you but people have to have like a kernel of like ability to be funny and then they yeah. sort of nurture it and then become funny yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think you're doing it right. I just say if that if you ever quit your job, you just put a bunch of money away and then you just fucking go for it. Okay. So I haven't. So I'm not doing anything wrong. I just need to do more. You know, what? a lot of this shit is just purely based on like who you know and like right That's place, true. right time. Like you could be the funniest fucking person in the world, but if you're like telling jokes in like Iowa City, <laughs> nobody's gonna give a shit or no. Obviously, you live in a good place to tell jokes. I mean, you got what's like the comedy store and uh, mm-hmm. was it La- 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 Laugh Factory? Laugh Factory, the improv. Yeah, improv. Like, there's a lot of like pretty legendary dope clubs. And I've, I've seen a few shows at the comedy store. It's pretty good. Yeah, comedy store is actually, w- I guess I would call it my home club. It's mm-hmm. my favorite place to perform. Mm-hmm. I'll be there on January 14th, I think, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Um, all right, so any last words? Any shout outs? Do you want to say your social so people can. <laughs> stalk you no. sliding your dms no no last words no socials no socials so no. but i'm gonna tag it anyways when i post exactly the episode. Yeah. i'm gonna tag <laughs> it on instagram yeah yeah exactly. all right <laughs> cool well that was a very crisp response so we'll, yeah. we'll leave it at that thanks yeah. for hanging out yeah, yeah no thanks for having me yeah and accepting the w- the pellegrino because i actually really wanted the apple soda so that was a good move i mean I generally only drink things that are familiar. 
that that has unfamiliar <laughs> characters on it that I would not it try. It does. It has a different language, and the sugar content is 32 grams. Which it's way too much. Yeah. Too much, and I'm probably going to be bouncing off the walls. So Yeah, probably. Yeah, you're going to love hanging out with me. Um, all right, well, thanks, and we're just going to say bye now. Cause, yeah. Later. Bye.